I love that intro song. Um, episode 33 of the It's a Monkey podcast. It is Thursday slash Friday, 23rd slash 24th of January, 2014. January is nearly over. It's been a warm one here. <laughs> <laughs> I want to chat to a th- um, some sort of cosmologist or, or someone in some of the show on this this phenomenon of time and uh, the, the 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 relative nature and time speeding up and slowing down. Mm, how it uh, compacts itself when you're having fun. You mean exactly? They have done research that apparently shows when you are doing volunteer work or you um, the the perception is that time slows down. Because it's boring. <laughs> <laughs> James, you're such a cynic. You know, you're, you're such a cynic. Um, episode 33 of the It's a Monkey podcast. Boy, do we have a special show for you today. It is the cryptocurrency special. If you haven't heard the word Bitcoin, um, you probably have been um, in a cave somewhere in Nepal, which um, even Jimmy, who is our staff member, who sometimes is in a cave in Nepal, and he's 74, and he's our bookkeeper, and he has heard of Bitcoin, actually. So we're having a, a cryptocurrency slash Bitcoin special. Later on in the show, we've got some great interviews coming up. We'll be talking to Asha Tan, who is the CEO of CoinJar, which is a Bitcoin exchange here in Australia, where Australians can cash in their Bitcoins and buy their Bitcoins and transfer between Australian dollars and Bitcoins. Um, we spoke to Asha um, a little bit early on in the week. And also, excitingly, we spoke to Jackson Palmer, who is the creator, one of the creators of Dogecoin, which is one of the spin-offs of Litecoin, which is one of the spin-offs of Bitcoin. So we've, we've got um, a lot of interesting discussion coming up. But James, what I want to do first is I want to take a little bit of a step back because I still have a lot of people coming up to me and just saying, Bitcoin, what is it? Let's just, <laughs> let, let's just go right back, make it grandmother friendly. Oh, that's that's a hard one. <laughs> what is it? I, I mean, I guess I guess so. Just uh, from a from a very basic point of view, it's really just a currency. I mean, you don't really have to think about it in any kind of deep level of complexity. Um, I think what confuses people, though, sorry to interject there, is it's both a currency and a platform, and I think that's what confuses people a little bit. It's not just like you know um, Zimbabwean dollars and U.S. dollars. It's a bump, Zimbabwean dollars plus a whole platform that interconnects um, other people with Zimbabwean dollars. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so the, the idea behind having virtual currencies and, you know, currencies that aren't tied directly to any, um, you know, particular value, uh, fiat currencies, you know, it's, it's not a new thing. There's been lots of sort of currencies that have come up since the genesis of the internet. Um, there were some really popular web, web 1.0 currency. Do you remember what it was called? It was like dollars with a z or something there was a there was a bunch like that um yeah i don't know i'd have to dig into the archive of my mind yeah yeah so i mean it's not it's not like a new idea and in theory you know you can see why it's an interesting idea because you know people might use u.s currency day to day but they might want but there's obviously some complexity that's tied to that there's a lot of companies that have vested interest you know the credit card companies um the banks everything along the financial chain that makes it quite hard for sort of new players to get involved and in some ways it's much more simpler just to start your own currency if you if you're facing these problems uh you know the real the real thing that bitcoin has solved that nothing has solved before and the reason why it's kind of a new platform and it's interesting uh is because it's solved the problem of of sort of shared ownership 
um, each of these digital currencies before, if you use them, you had to rely on whoever created that currency being there and maintaining it and actually, you know, kind of being like a benevolent dictator and, you know, making sure they weren't going to do anything wrong with it or, or, or you know, abuse their power. Sort of like PayPal in a way, but... Yeah, like 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 paper or like a bank. You know, if you give your money to the bank, you have to trust the bank, and you have to have like you know lots and lots of you know credibility and assets built up there in order to actually use that service. Um, and that's why if small companies and just individual entities are trying to start their own currency. It's not really going to fly. You know, it's only really going to be things as big as a as a country that can start their own currency. But if you if you really can trust these people, if you can sort of trust sort of um, you know, uh, individuals, separate individuals that have no, um, have their own sort of potentially malicious intents um, and you can ensure that everybody's going to agree and nobody's going to abuse the system, then you then you kind of have this ability to create new currency. Um, and that's really what, what founded Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a way that you can actually, um, you know, trust other people. It's, it's a public ledger, which means imagine like your bank statement combined with everybody else's bank statements out in public. It's like a ledger of every single transaction. And it's a way to secure that ledger, ledger that makes it important. But just as an important point as well, even though that ledger is public, it, it doesn't list your name there. It lists transaction yeah, references. It, and It doesn't list your name, but it does actually interestingly list yeah the amount of money you've received and the amount of money you've got. And the interesting part that I think some people don't even quite understand when they use Bitcoin is that if you give somebody your Bitcoin address, they can actually see how much money is in your Bitcoin address. Um, there are ways you can obs- uh, um, obfuscate that and you kind of launder the money. I mean, laundering is not the right word, but you can... Uh, no, you know, we don't pass say it. that word around here. <laughs> you can pass it through, you know, other channels and other avenues to actually, uh, you know, do something with it. But um, Cloak. Cloak it, yeah. Cloak it. Um, there, there are ways, uh, you, like you can pass it into like other cryptocurrencies or you can pass it through these things that are called tumblers. And what they do is they... I think they call tumblers, not not that kind of tumbler, like a digital tumbler. And you put your money in, and at some point it randomly puts money back out to a separate address. Ah, okay. So, so it's, it's kind of, of like a way of washing the money with everybody else's money. Mm, and so you can't transfer, like, from that point on, you can't say who that money then went to, even though statistically, you know, everybody ends up with the same amount of money. So, yeah, it's it's a very interesting space. And, yeah, it's really that, that innovation, the ability to sort of trust other people on the internet. <laughs> that's that's really what Bitcoin has solved in, in a funny way that's, that's built up this currency. But, that, but that's more of a currency human challenge than an internet issue. I mean, currencies essentially only work because everyone has agreed that they work. Yeah. Sometimes backed up by governments, insuring with all sorts of checks and balances and lenders of last resorts and things like that. But essentially, everyone needs to agree that yeah. it's a, a, an exchange of value. Yeah, I mean, there was there was nothing necessarily wrong with those other uh, beans. That was the name of one of them. Beans. Uh, beans. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I we we worked a bit with beans in one of my oh, yeah. my previous incarnations. There was one of the guys from Oracle, I think, was behind beans. Oh, okay. There cool. was a lot of money behind beans. Yeah. I mean, there's there's there was nothing inherently wrong with those systems. It's just that yeah, I mean, once you well, other than the fact that, you know, you have to trust the person who runs it. Um, but, you know, people didn't give them value, so they had no kind of, you know, real USD exchange rate of any of any, of any any meaning. Um, and, yeah, the real difference with Bitcoin is people actually do give it real value, and that's why it shot up in the in the USD exchange rate and, um, and you know, why people are raving about it and, you know, really using it in day-to-day stuff. Yeah, look, it's, I mean, the interesting thing about Bitcoin is it's made me fall in love with... Um, economics again 
Yeah. You know, economics at university was one of these funny subjects. Did you study any economics? Yeah, uh, only at high school. I never, never at yeah. uni level. I don't know. Uni was one of these funny subjects that there were parts of it that were fascinating and, and, and just really intellectually um, y- you know, challenging and interesting. And there were other parts that were just incredibly useless and dry. And, you know, Bitcoin has just brought to life so many interesting um, um, theories. And for instance, you know, the, the Bitcoin, um, you know, supplies designed to be limited yeah due to um you know curbing inflation as i understand but the challenge that brings is it brings deflation mm-hmm. and deflation in many ways is worse than inflation mm. you know inflation can be very positive it means a growing economy you know not um, not enough money but chasing you know goods and services it's but it means things are growing and going in the right direction but deflation is very contractionary mm-hmm. and gums things up and that's one of the uh, criticisms of Bitcoin is that it's inherently deflationary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's you know it's very interesting and the, and there's I mean there's all these other cryptocurrencies which you know if you have any kind of criticism of Bitcoin there's like another cryptocurrency that takes the opposite view to that and tries to solve that problem. Um, and so while everybody talks about Bitcoin, it's really these other ones that that I think make the area so interesting. Um, I mean, there's no indication at this point that, that for me anyway, that Bitcoin won't won't be very successful. But um, if there is any real issues that arise out of it, I think we'll see it, uh, another cryptocurrency come take its place. So I think I think when people talk about Bitcoin from now on, it's not going to be just Bitcoin, but it's going to be all its successes and um, everything that comes after it as well. I think you make an interesting point in in terms of um, you, you know. Um, there's there's bitcoins that solve every problem and and then the future will be a derivative of the bitcoin in a way there's, there was a fantastic article which i'll put a link link up to felix salmon he's a financial journalist he published an article about bitcoin um, a, a wonderful um, analysis the pros and cons and what he said is similar to you in that he doesn't believe that the future is bitcoin but but bitcoin has definitely kicked off mm-hmm. um you know currency 2.0 in a way and whatever we're going to land up with in many ways we're going to have to be grateful to to bitcoin to actually just you know kick starting it and putting it out there um definitely there's there's no turning back now (laughs) there's no turning back i mean i think it's 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 similar to um you know the early days of the internet where maybe i don't know did you ever use gopher Mm. it was like some 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 weird sort of trying to be graphical i think it was uh, that was the one that was trying to be graphical browsing of, uh, of certain databases no, i don't think so no i mean there are all these precursors to mm-hmm. um, you know and it was only when when the browser emerged that everything started um gelling together i don't know if you saw on my tweet stream um i retweeted a graphic of the internet in 1967 it's the 69 mm. and it was just the west coast of the u.s i think it was ucla with uc berkeley with um, Stanford, and it was oh, just really? the it was just it? three or four just yeah. connected in 1969, which was which was really interesting. What I want to talk through a little bit um, about James is um, I went through the process of buying some Bitcoin and transferring some Bitcoin and buy using Bitcoin to buy Dogecoin, and I just want to talk through what I went through. And maybe if someone's listening, they they may find that useful because it's 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 still just not that um, clear to people how to get involved and how to yeah. play with it. Um, and it is it is quite simple, you know, and it is not scary. And it's, it's you know, it doesn't mean you're getting involved in Silk Road and, you know, you're <laughs> going to buy 
contraband, etc. Although according not, not to not yet, the, you don't know. <laughs> n- not yet, but you know, um, according to the FBI, uh, let me just find it over here. According to the FBI, it is actually illegal to create a com- uh, you know a competitive currency to the dominant car- oh, currency really? in the U.S. It is actually theoretically. Um, we don't live in the US so we should create them (laughs) yeah it'd be interesting what the Australian law is as well but Mm. um, you know theoretically you know because it's a peer-to-peer network the government would have a hard time doing anything with the Bitcoin platform itself but where they could really come and clamp down is at that point we want to exchange it into currencies yeah they could definitely clamp down and say well look it's illegal to um, convert Bitcoin into Australian dollars they could totally yeah, do that, or, absolutely, or, yeah. or either way. I, I, mean, I would imagine if they did do that, it would just then it would move offshore, and somebody would do it from a different country. I mean, I don't so see how got, they can possibly, you know, lock it down. And even if there was some way they could continue to lock it down from US dollars, they'd just do it into you know pounds or yen or something, and that would get transferred into US dollars. So I'd imagine that would be a losing strategy. It'd be pretty hard to do. Yeah, they should rather um, tax it. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Which I'm, which I'm sure they will. Anyway, I'll talk you through the the, the process that I went through, um, and you probably went through a similar process, although you've been fiddling around a lot longer um, with it than I have been. Um, so I used Coinjar, which was the interview later on in the show. Um, I went, I, I um, which Coinjar is one of these exchanges in Australia. What, what's one of the big ones in the U.S.? There's one or two very well-known ones. Um. Oh, there's a, uh, Coinbase is very popular. I think Coinbase, Coinbase uh, is the one I heard yeah, about. Yeah, I'm not sure if you can actually buy US dollars. I think I think you can. Yeah, probably Coinbase. So I had to, um, be, because I had to. Um, um, Coinjar requires you to be verified, and they do have an online verification service where you put in all your, you know, um, driver's license, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I went through that process, but I hit a wall for some reason. I didn't have one of the documents. So the alternative to that is to physically go into one of our banks here that they Coinjar um, are linked with, affiliated with, and um, they help you print out a deposit slip. And I deposited the equivalent of one Bitcoin <laughs> and exactly one Bitcoin. And I, I, I put that um, physically uh, through cash, which felt quite ironic because this is all this cryptocurrency platform blah blah and actually going like old school with cash which i I never touch and into a bank branch which i i never go into (laughs) within an hour i got a notification from coinjar that um i had money in my coinjar account and then in the coinjar account i purchased one bitcoin and there i had it i had the bitcoin um in my account and and what is might be a little bit daunting is it's, it deals with all these really large character strings i don't know how large they are 64 characters or um yeah i don't know i think it's about 32 is it um then once i was in wh- once i had that once i had bitcoin then i can fiddle around um on another exchange to buy dogecoin um which exchange to use oh i can't remember which exchange you see like a blue one Gee, it, it had literally it had like dozens of different currencies it was probably cripsy it's not there's not that many that support big uh, dog, 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 dog coin. coin and um and then when i sort of said something like you know buy dog coin and it and it gave me another string of characters that i'm trying to remember which was a sequence um I 
you would have had to exchange um, transferred Bitcoin to that exchange, and then you could have used your Bitcoin right. from the exchange to then buy the Dogecoin. Do so I sent some of my Bitcoin into that exchange, and then with and then I just converted some of that Bitcoin into Dogecoin. Yeah, that sounds that sounds right. And now now I'm sitting with half a Bitcoin and some Dogecoin. Yeah. How uh, much how much Dogecoin did you buy? Do you remember? I think quite a bit. Yeah. Actually, yeah, yeah, you would have made quite a bit of money on that already, actually. Really? If you haven't tracked it, yeah. No, I haven't tracked it. Because I think I bought, I bought mine after you bought yours. Yeah, and mine's gone up like five times. So if you put, I only bought like a dollar's worth, Australian dollars worth, but that was still like ten thousand. I think it was one thousand Dogecoin I bought. But yeah, if you're making good investment, actually. Wow, who knows? Maybe, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know. Uh, <laughs> time, time to retire. <laughs> t- yeah. Look, well, the interesting thing, you know, um, we didn't mention that Bitcoin was created by um, either a single person or a collective of person called. Do you, do you remember the name? Uh, something like Satoshi. Satoshi. Yeah. 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 And um, apparently, the original founders held on to a lot of Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. That's yep. worth a ridiculous amount. Of, I mean, you, you're talking. I think. I think they even mentioned. I mean, it's definitely billions. Yeah. Yeah, insane amounts, yeah. But they can't cash it in because then people will be able to reverse engineer who they mm-hmm. are. Yeah, identify them. Yep. Mm. Sort of reminds me of the joke about the rabbi that goes and plays golf on the Sabbath, which he's not allowed to do, and he gets the hole in one, and he can't tell anyone because it's, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's a similar thing. These guys are sitting on billions of dollars, and they can't cash it in. Uh, that would be a tough, tough position and to it, be in. Yeah. Um, so... Anyway, that's have, have we left anything out that's probably worth co- uh, worth covering on the on the Bitcoin side of things? I think that's a pretty good overview. Yeah, um, but we encourage you to have a play with it. Um, it's the cryptocurrencies are definitely definitely here to stay. Um, whether the currency part might flake away or separate out, and the platform part will 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 just you know start to thrive. I think it's worth remembering to think of it in those two separate components the platform and the currency i think that's what what tends to confuse people Mm. um a little bit there was also a great video interview on um, jason calacanis's this week in startups he had a panel of about three people and they really pulled apart some of these issues i'll put a i'll put a link to that but if you want to google this week in startup bitcoin special um that i think you'll find that very interesting so you're listening to Kevin Garber and James Peter on the It's a Monkey podcast. It is Thursday, 23rd of January or Friday, 24th of January, depending where in the world you are. Please let us know where in the world you are. Um, if you are using Manage Flutter while listening to us, a special welcome to you. And um, you can tweet us at Monkey Podcast. You can email us at podcast at itsamonkey.com. You know how to get hold of us. Comment on the blog article if you are listening online or on your podcast um, on your iTunes if you go to itsamonkey.com you can actually comment as well and particularly around this cryptocurrency issue there's a lot to discuss there's a lot of different opinions there's a, there's a lot of points of view we'd love to hear um, what you have to say do you think this is the future are you scared of, of uh, you know a lot of people are fearful that um, this peer-to-peer currency is, is sidesteps a lot of the checks and balances that have have emerged um 
I know James doesn't like checks and balances. <laughs> no, no, Wild West for me. <laughs> You're an anarchist at heart, James. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I'm secretly an anarchist. Yeah. Secret, not so secret now. Got my got my own club, <laughs> just of me. <laughs> Anyway, we are going to take a short break and we are going to be back with Asher Tan, who is the CEO of CoinJar, which is, is it is it the most popular Australian Bitcoin exchange? It is in this office. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I, it's, it's really hard to measure that. It's, but it's, very, it's, it's up there. Yeah. It's up there. Interestingly, um, the Bitcoin market at the moment is only worth about 1.2 billion. So about 1.2 billion of exchanges, transactions every day, including currency conversions, etc. Whereas the US dollar market is 14 trillion. So there's a little bit of a way to go. Absolutely. But um, still early days. Still very early days. Anyway, um, we'll be back after this break. The It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by Check Dog. Use CheckDog to easily review and monitor your website for spelling errors, broken links, and broken images, all with the push of one button. CheckDog can also automatically monitor your website and notify you of newly introduced spelling errors. Go to CheckDog.com forward slash podcast to receive 50% off your first month subscription. CheckDog.com, helping the world's leading websites keep their content error-free. You're back listening to the It's a Monkey podcast with Kevin Garber and James Peter. We don't always have studio guests because most of us, our guests are based all around the world, often in Silicon Valley. But I'm very excited to say that we actually have a studio guest sitting in our um, professional studio. Actually, not really, just our boardroom in Sydney, Australia. Um, straight from Melbourne, that great town down south. I really love Melbourne. We have Ashatan, who is the CEO and co-founder of CoinJar. Um, Asha, thanks very much for joining us on the It's a Monkey podcast. Thanks for having me. Um, look, I, I only need to say one word, um, Bitcoin. Um, you, you guys are in the thick of it. Just tell us very briefly, where does CoinJar fit into the whole Bitcoin ecosystem experience? Uh, that's a good question. Um, what CoinJar is really doing right now, it's building infrastructure to support the Bitcoin ecosystem. Uh, at the moment, we have a few products, and our most basic product is a Bitcoin wallet um, that helps users manage an online balance. Uh, right now in Australia, we also have CoinJar Filler, which allows you to buy and sell Bitcoin easily. So that's just basically the cornerstone of Bitcoin infrastructure that we're building right now. So basically, you help people, um, you're an exchange, you help people get onto the coin, uh, the, the Bitcoin ecosystem by converting the quote unquote real money into Bitcoin and back into real money when they want to. Yes. Okay. So let's get into the more interesting. You're obviously someone that um, lives, eats and breathes Bitcoin. Let's talk a little bit. Let's take a, a step back. The, um, people have all sorts of opinions about Bitcoin at the moment. Um, where, um, 
where's Bitcoin at? I mean, I mean, the 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 you know, you have some hedge fund managers in the U.S. with with a huge amount of credibility, and they saying Bitcoin um, is just going to be clamped down by the authorities. It's going to go nowhere. Then you have other people like James Peter, my co-founder, who's an incredibly smart guy whose opinion I respect hugely. And I'm going to hand over the mic to him shortly, actually. Um, and he's just like, this is the future. The more I use it, the more I see it is the future. Tell us from an industry insider's point of view, what do you make of everything that's going on? Well, I think 2014 is going to be pivotal for Bitcoin. A lot of people who are really bullish and over the last year, you've seen not only the price increase, but interest increase as well. That's why I'm here today. Um, we've also seen lots of people building new and interesting applications for Bitcoin. And that's really the heart of it. It's about the application of Bitcoin without real use cases. Bitcoin is just, uh, you know, another speculative tool. And I think 2014 uh, will start to prove to people that Bitcoin does have very good uses. I see Overstock.com started accepting Bitcoin. And I think in the first few hours, they sold $100,000 US worth of stock um, on Bitcoin. Yeah. Which, which is... I think even surprised from what I read it even surprised um, the overstock team yeah uh, definitely that a lot of people do have Bitcoin right now and it's just about avenues of spending it uh, it could be overstock.com it could be things that we haven't really imagined uh, how we can spend our money yet but um, it's all about people building cool and uh, interesting applications of Bitcoin okay now those were the easy questions okay I'm sure James um, has some some more interesting questions. And uh, if the listeners, if you're listening to this podcast, we almost professional. James and I are sharing a mic at the moment. So this is why I actually have to do a formal handover of the mic to James. Thanks, Kevin. I'll, uh, I'll try not to be too technical. Um, yeah, so, so it seems like you've had an interesting ride since you've sort of been founded a few years ago. Um, what's uh, it been? We found, sorry, eight um, months ago. Eight months ago, sorry. Not, not even a few years, a few months ago. Um, have you found sort of interacting with the existing financial institutions in Australia? You've had a few issues there, haven't you? Uh, in terms yeah. Of, is that something you can talk about? Like, Yeah, definitely. Um, we've always been very transparent of how we do things. Uh, we did run into some issues with our previous banking provider, Commonwealth Bank. Um, I don't dislike the bank, but it was just a lack of communication. And I don't think so. It's just a Bitcoin thing. Uh, new tech startups often operate in ways that uh, old world industries fail to understand. And when there's a breakdown in communication, that's where you know the relationship breaks down. Um, so I don't think it's just banking. It's not just, uh, you know, or we hate Bitcoin, that sort of thing. Um, it's just about more of understanding how the world is changing and whether you want to accept uh, new and disruptive technologies. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, it sounds to me like, um, uh, I mean, a bit, bit of the story was basically they um, they had some issues that they're accepting payments through through CoinJar. Was that how, how it went down? And then you went and talked to a different bank and that kind of resolved your issues? Yeah, so um, I don't think many people understand our business model or what we do completely. And part of the reason is, well, they don't ask or we have no one to speak to. Um, so when we went to the NAB, um, they were really open to listening of how we were operating, what measures we were taking to ensure security and transparency. Uh, so, yeah, we've had a really strong relationship with the bank so far. Yeah, that's interesting. So it sounds like um, NAB have a little bit more of a 
uh, a hold on the situation, would you say? Like some of the banks have a better understanding of what's happening. Do you think um, maybe they're kind of hedging their bets a little bit and sort of accepting you? Do you think there could be any sort of closer relationship in the future? Is there anything along those lines? Uh, definitely. Uh, yeah. uh, we don't really consider ourselves just a Bitcoin company. We see ourselves as a financial company trying to innovate with Bitcoin. So if anyone else wants to innovate in financial products, you know, um, we're always really happy to extend a hand. Um, the NAB has, you know, we consult with the innovation team. They ask us questions of, you know, how money is changing, how can user experience be better. So it's really good to see people take a proactive stance on um, uh, finance, uh, personal finance and just finance in general. Yeah, cool. That's interesting. And uh, in terms of innovation, how um, have you? How difficult have you found it? Sort of working within, um, I guess, uh, the Australian government regulations. There's, I think, there's some issues there, isn't there, in terms of sort of being able to accept money coming on board. I've noticed that there's been a little bit of a challenge in the system in terms of um, just identifying yourself in order to actually comply with Australian government guidelines. Has that been a bit of a challenge? I don't think it's any different from any other country around the world. Uh, governments and regulatory bodies are trying to understand how to deal with something they've never seen before. Yeah. Um, some of their fears are maybe founded. Uh, the regular anti-money laundering, uh, you know, anti-terrorism laws, which, uh, you know, exist uh, because there is some measure of risk when you're dealing with money. But then again, we've always been happy to comply and um, work within the framework provided. Uh, I, I think the issue is a lot of the time there lacks a framework for Bitcoin. Um, so governments and regulatory bodies just have to decide um, how do you want to deal with Bitcoin. And that's as simple as that. Cool. And you've just launched some new stuff today, haven't you? Or at least recently in terms of identifying yourself? Yep. So um, we've had a few scaling issues, uh, too much interest from users, uh, not enough staff uh, looking at IDs and approving uh, verified users. So we've just uh, transitioned to Green ID, which is a provider of identity services. They do that for um, you know banks, government bodies. Uh, so it's good to uh, team up with them and have them provide uh, the same types of service they would with other financial institutions. Yeah, it's very cool. Yeah, I actually, I actually used it today. So uh, unfortunately, it didn't, didn't recognize me straight away because I had to get like extra manual approval or something. But um, no, it's it's a very cool system. It looks like it's a very innovative um, solution to the problem. I mean, I, I guess a lot of the issues around Bitcoin is, you know, partly that it's non-refundable, right? Like you have to be really careful with who you get on board. Is that part of it? Or is it more a government thing that you have to actually, is it more sort of government regulations that you have to be really careful about identifying the people using your service? I think we just wanted to be proactive uh, in trying our best to make sure that people aren't using compromised bank accounts or trying to do anything uh, that we wouldn't want them to do. So uh, I think it's it's at the, the least we can do to show that we uh, are truly serious about making a sustainable and uh, totally legitimate business. Yeah, cool. It's very interesting. And in terms of your use, uh, people using the system, do you have um, sort of mostly or 100% Australian customers or is it a bit of an international base? Where are you sort of heading? Uh, um, almost all our customers are Australian based at the moment. Um, the filler, which is the buying and selling Bitcoin, only works in Australia at the moment. Okay. Um, although we are launching in other countries very soon. And you also have the merchant product as well, don't you? Have you had much uptake of that so far? Uh, so we've got a lot of uh, merchant interests, uh, brick and mortar online stores. 
uh, we're refining the process at the moment. Uh, we'll probably relaunch the product in a couple of months, but already we've got you know over 20 merchants who actively use our services on a daily basis. Um, not so just merchants, but also other um, startups who want to build new products, such as like a point of sales uh, software. Oh, um, so we're trying to accommodate not just um, regular shops who buy and sell items, but I think Bitcoin is uniquely flexible and we're trying to um, build tools that uh, can accommodate other use cases as well. But you, but you do have some like actual physical shops using it? So uh, yeah, definitely. And, and how does that work? Do you actually go to the shop or, or does it all have to be an online purchase to actually buy like a physical product? Uh, you do need an internet connection, but you can walk up to a shop in Melbourne, um, uh, Imbis Cafe in St. Kilda, um, take out your phone, pay for a coffee, and that's as simple as that. Wow, that's that's really cool. Is there any in Sydney? <laughs> uh, you can buy beers for Bitcoin in Sydney. Right oh, now. is that what you're saying? Yeah, I'll definitely have to try that. Maybe our next uh, next uh, Friday afternoon thing we sure. can go do. Um, that, Old so. Fitzroy Hotel. Old Fitzroy, cool, cool, fantastic. Um, so, just a couple of more questions from me, Asher. Um, um, I mean, you guys are obviously still. Bitcoin's obviously very, very risky. Still, I mean, you, your business could be could be killed in a heartbeat by regulation. Yes or no? Uh, what's uh, what sort of regulation are you talking about? Well, I mean, if the authorities clamp down, I mean, at the end of the day, the governments still have fine. If they get too nervous that they can't tax it properly, or that um, the risk of money laundering and illicit activity in Bitcoin. Um, is too high if they I, I mean they can literally flick the switch on it can they not uh, I'm not really sure I mean uh, the governments can uh, exercise powers you know numerous number of things they can do but um, Bitcoin is a people powered movement so when you talk about Bitcoin are you talking about the Bitcoin network are you talking about the currency are you talking about a company in specific so I'm talking about the the, the currency I mean you know, as a as a currency and a and a means of exchange, mm -hmm. um, the government can start meddling in ways that can really, um, really kill a lot of the benefits of Bitcoin. Well, uh, Bitcoin is a person to person payment. So as long as two consenting individuals agree to a transfer, uh, there's no way of really stopping that um, transfer. Governments might exercise rights as you know. Um, tax implications, or they might not allow certain businesses to exist. But the idea of Bitcoin is a decentralized network. It's a network of people trusting each other, and you can't really kill trust with a flick of a switch. So it's sort of like it's sort of like a payment equivalent of the internet, right? That you can you can kill it in some ways, but it it sort of finds a way around it. Sure. So I mean, that's the beauty of it. If you talk about Bitcoin, it's money of the internet. It has a lot of parallels. It's open. It's free. It's decentralized. And that's what draws people in because they see what uh, platforms such as the internet has enabled and we want to see the same thing uh, for finance. So as an entrepreneur, you, you don't feel you're unduly exposed or, or you're exposed to, um, to a risk that's, uh, that's out of your control that might just impact your business in a very sort of you know, high impact way. I think all entrepreneurs who try new and interesting things face these challenges. You've seen how uh, Airbnb has faced uh, issues in New York where uh, the legalities of renting out your apartment 
uh, sort of in the gray area. Um, Uber has had a lot of issues with uh, acquiring, uh, you know, the t sort of license to operate uh, in different countries as well. But it is a beneficial service. And when people see the benefits of such service, I don't think anyone wants to kill uh, a really good and innovative product that benefits people, governments included. But w what are the benefits to the person in the street? I mean, people would, if my non-technical friends, um, besides for speculative purposes, you know, to make money, I mean, how would you sell Bitcoin to, uh, to someone who's not technical and say, well, they say, I use credit cards, I use PayPal, um, I, I use Google wallets. Um, why do I need this thing called Bitcoin? It seems like a real hassle. The currency is fluctuating like mad. All I've heard is that people buy uh, drugs and hitmen with it. You know, how? What would you actually say to them? That's the, your benefit of using Bitcoin. Uh, well, we've heard a lot of these similar arguments in the early days of the internet. Who are you going to sell an e send an email to? Your grandma? What are you going to use the internet? Look up naked girls on the internet. Um, and that's sort of the resounding arguments you hear of Bitcoin, the same things you've just mentioned. Uh, but it does uh, unlock a lot of possibilities if you talk about uh, sending payments internationally, paying lower fees on credit card transactions. Or if you've ever used PayPal and had a transaction locked before, you know what a problematic process that is. Uh, so Bitcoin does solve a lot of problems. Uh, and if I asked you in certain parts of your life, uh, have you tried sending money to someone overseas or creating a bank account overseas and moving money? Uh, that's a real problem that we are solving with Bitcoin. So it sounds like, I mean, just like the early days of the internet, no one really knows what's possible yet. Um, I think one of the best ex explanations of Bitcoin that I like is that Bitcoin is the world's largest human experiment right now. Everyone is taking uh, you know, we all have our own hypothesis that Bitcoin could do this or be this, but no one really knows, myself included. So what we are doing is taking part in this experiment and looking for the result. And whatever the result is, uh, at least I know we've tried to innovate and tried something uh, new with this experiment instead of sitting back and saying, well, that's how credit cards works and how that's banks works and we should just accept that wholeheartedly. Um, so everyone who's interested in Bitcoin uses Bitcoin and takes time to learn how to use it. Um, you know, I, I really admire that they're joining part of something, they're being part of something a lot bigger than themselves. And I mean, um, talk to me a little bit about your company as well. You guys are funded or bootstrapped or? Um, yeah, we started out in an incubator program out uh -huh. of Melbourne. Uh -huh. um, to be honest, I applied to the program with a whole different idea that I was working on. And at the final interview, uh, my investor uh, said, well, how about you try something a lot more ambitious than what you're doing now? Try something that will change the world and, you know, could make you a lot of money, not just a quick exit. Let's try to be super ambitious about this. And he says, what's the most ambitious thing you can think of? And uh, me and my business partner said, well, Bitcoin. And so that started from there. Um, recently, we've raised another round of founding, uh, funding from uh, Blackbird Ventures, which is a Sydney-based VC firm, and a handful of uh, individual uh, Australian investors who've made some really cool things. So um, yeah, that's we've raised about half a million dollars so far. Nice one. And how's the, uh, how's the startup ecosystem in Melbourne going? I mean, are there are a, uh, a lot of interesting uh, uh, businesses emerging in Melbourne. Yeah, definitely from someone who wasn't 
uh, from a tech background. Oh, uh, my previous occupation, I was an economist. I wrote reports most of the day, so I'm non-technical. Um, so, but getting into the startup ecosystem in Melbourne was really friendly. Um, you know, attending events, people teaching me things, and taking out their own personal time uh, to work through my ideas and um, flesh them out um, has really helped me make that transition from someone who's sort of traditionally outside the tech ecosystem, um, getting into startups and starting my own project. There seem to be a few interesting startups that have emerged out of Melbourne, and uh, I'm a huge fan of Melbourne, by the way. Um, I love it, and I think it's definitely, I'll probably get f uh, grief for saying this, but I think it's um, one, of, uh, one of Australia's friendliest cities, actually. I find the people quite accessible and quite open, and it doesn't surprise me that the ecosystem's a little bit more supportive of each other than Sydney's sort of gung-ho, um, you know, go-it-for-yourself type of mentality, which can sometimes creep in. Um, so what's the next steps for you guys? Uh, how, what's your head count and what's, what's your plans for the year? Um, yeah, we're looking to growing fast. We should be seven employees by the end of this month. Are those mainly developers or? A uh, mix, support, development. Uh, I mean, we're just growing really fast. If you've had issues with support or identification, you know, the, part of it is hiring more staff to, um, you know, tackle these problems. Um, so we really want to provide a quality user experience for everyone using Bitcoin. Um, Bitcoin is still not the most user friendly of, um, you know, uh, in terms of technology, but what we can do is really add a layer of um, trust and support for people really getting into Bitcoin for the first time. Um, besides that, uh, we're also looking to expand globally, um, hoping to launch uh, CoinJar New Zealand um, in a couple of months as well. And um, your, you mentioned your users and your merchants. Tell us, I mean, your, most of your users, are they, are they just geeks at this stage? Um, you would be really surprised at our user base. A lot of them are baby boomers, uh, retirees. They got too much money, the baby boomers, right? Yeah. Uh, well, my theory is they've been around long enough to see how technology uh, like the internet can really revolutionize That's some true. fields. They've um, been through the cycles, right? Yeah, you've seen the cycles. Uh, yes, it is uh, highly, um, you know, there's a lot of things we don't know about Bitcoin right now, but people can see the benefit uh, in backing disruptive technology that has, you know, uh, which is beneficial to everyone. But aren't they mainly speculative at this stage, the people that are getting into Bitcoin? Yeah, I mean, that's inevitable because... Bitcoin has been one of the best performing asset classes, uh, if any, in the world right now. But um, even though there are a lot of speculators, uh, I think we can, if we make the use case compelling enough, uh, why not spend some of your uh, Bitcoin, which you have uh, gained over the past year or so with these price increases? Um, if you target um, specific industries which Bitcoin can uh, help solve, for instance, international payments, uh, or if you needed to move money um, to your brother in, you know, the U.S. and to pay him for something he bought for you. Uh, if you get the use case correct and you make the user experience one that's uh, really high quality, um, there's no reason why you wouldn't repeat it again. And your merchants? Tell us about some of your merchants. You mentioned one of the pubs in Sydney, the Old Fitzroy. I, I don't know about that pub. Haven't heard of it. But. Sure. So there are a bunch of people out of interest, 
Um, you can buy everything from a 4x4 off-road vehicle in Melbourne right now for Bitcoin right. um, or some more things like VPN services. So the Bitcoin, yes, if you accept Bitcoin, it's not only great publicity, but you know, you're looking at reduction of fees. Uh, you're looking at uh, potential cost savings in the future if you apply it to your whole supply chain as well. So right now, what we're trying to do is help merchants realize the full potential of Bitcoin and not just, you know, a one-time publicity run that you run on your website. Sounds interesting. Um, James, do you want to ask any other? Sure, yeah. I just want to tell one quick anecdote. Um, so when I, uh, when I was first starting to use CoinJar, I'd, uh, I signed up for the system and I'd wanted to, I, I want to get my first sort of Bitcoin. You know, I didn't know much about it. I just knew I wanted some Bitcoin. And I, um, I went in and I, I got all the details and I sort of went into the NAB branch and I filled out my deposit slip and I took it up to the teller and she goes, this is the fourth one of these I've seen today. <laughs> she said, I could just, I should just start writing them out. She didn't have to actually look it up. She could just do it from memory. So I think that tells an awful lot about, um, the success of what you guys are doing and, um, and you know, the Bitcoin in general and, um, and following on from that, how high do you think Bitcoin can go? What's, where, where do you think it's going to reach? Do you think it'll reach, uh, 10,000? Uh, I don't really, I, I don't speculate on price. I <laughs> hardly track what the price is. I'm more interested in making it useful. And I believe the more useful it is, then the price can be anything you want it to be. That's a very diplomatic answer. <laughs> Thanks. And um, Asha, t tell us your entrepreneurial journey. What has been uh, the most um, surprisingly positive and the surprisingly challenging aspect of your entrepreneurial journey? Um, yeah, there are all sorts of challenges. Uh, going out on your own, doing projects um, that people don't believe will succeed. Um, you know, you have to have a lot of faith in what you're doing. And I am a really strong believer, not only in Bitcoin, but um, the people I work with as well. And um, it's also good to see once you've, you know, you've put your trust in other people, you come up with products and you find that people really like your products, not even like they have some sort of, you know, you, your product really solves their problems and they're really grateful for you to go in that extra mile to build it for them. So um, that for me is, you know, taking the risk to build something that you know or you hope at least will work well and getting that real confirmation from users who say, wow, this is great and I really want to use your product again and again. And your mom was going, you're giving up your job as an economist to, to do what? To Bitcoins? You know, did she, did she, uh, um, did, I, I know those uh, um, comments when you start a business, when I started my business very young and, and the early days were pretty tough and, had a few people saying, well, why don't you just get a job? Why are you doing this to yourself? Did you have some of that at all or? Yeah, I mean, you inevitably you'll get that uh, bit of slack from your friends, you know, your parents. Um, but I think I've always wanted to try new and interesting things. Uh, you know, even in my previous position, I was always trying to automate processes and make things better. And I think that's just part of my nature. And I think my parents are very clued in when I says, I'm gonna start my own thing and this as well. Uh, no one's really going to stop you. So uh, just give it your best shot. So There's actually an interesting anecdote, a story from Ruslan Kogan, who's another Melbourne entrepreneur. I don't know if you've ever heard his story about how he started Kogan. Um, are you familiar with Kogan, the online 
um, stored is Kogan. Yeah, Rosalind, if you're listening to this, um, you better start accepting Bitcoin soon. <laughs> so he s- says he was working for Accenture, that consulting company, and he was given a task um, to manually do something in Excel or, and, and he scripted it and it took him an, an afternoon and he went to his supervisor and his supervisor said, look, this is supposed to take two weeks. I don't know, just come back to me in two weeks. And he spent the rest of the time, um, you know, building his business. And, um, and in that time, yeah, he, he built a business and, and uh, started getting traction. And, uh, and he, he, you know, he talks about how he uh, not so politely left his consulting job and started his business. And, um, you know, the rest is history, as they say. So, um, you know, when you got a hunger for it and uh, you go for it, amazing things are possible. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Asha Tan, the co-founder of CoinJar out of Melbourne. It's great to have a Sydney, uh, sorry, not a Sydney, an Australian startup. Um, we, we struggle to find um, Australian startups to talk to. We know they're out there doing interesting things, but somehow the American ones have a, have a little bit more visibility. So we really wish you all the best with CoinJar. I'm sure we'll catch up to you in a year's time. And I'd, I'm, I'm, I'm watching this space with great interest. I'm still on the fence. I'm on the fence. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not pessimistic or optimistic. I'm on the fence about where all of this is going to go. Do you have Bitcoin yet? I don't. I'm actually going to hop onto your site, register, and I'm going to, I'm going to start dabbling and playing. Okay. Best of luck. And thanks for joining us. Thanks Appreciate for having time, me. Masha. The It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by Manage Flitter. With Manage Flitter, you can easily find out who isn't following you back. Find new people to follow. Track keywords on Twitter and schedule tweets for the most appropriate times. Tweet code monkey2 at ManageFlitter to receive a one-month free budgie account. James, the most interesting part that I found of Asher's interview was when he said, we are not a Bitcoin company. We are a financial company innovating with Bitcoin or using Bitcoin, you know, as one of our, one of our tools. Um, I think I think that's what's most interesting about cryptocurrency and Bitcoin is it may really democratize or de-democratize depends which way you look at it financial services in a way. Absolutely, yeah. And the barrier to entry to building a financial company in the, under the existing regulation is huge, but um, obviously they've faced a lot fewer challenges. I mean, they still have their own fair share of challenges, as you know, as you mentioned with the, the issues they're having with the verification and identification of people. But um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely a much easier way to get into it if you have, you have things you need to do. Yeah, so um, that, that, that was really exciting. I, I remember a few years ago, there was a new English bank that was set up in London and um, was one of the first major new banks in London in a long time, one of the high street banks. And the CEO said... Our biggest competitive advantage is actually that we've got no legacy IT systems Mm -hmm. to deal with. You know, that's what bigger burden, you know, these banks are still dealing with systems in COBOL and and crazy stuff that's just very hard to undo. And you come as a new financial services company using all just, you know, seamless peer-to-peer networks and platforms and um, obviously you've got to work within the legislation but the opportunities is uh, incredible i mean one of the reasons why visa and paypal exist is that uh, is as a as a clearinghouse type type service with bitcoin being peer-to-peer you don't need that Mm, absolutely yeah 
I mean, the other interesting thing about the space is that um, is that companies can really um, kind of uh, like come out of nothing as well. Um, oh, I had a point. I totally forgot <laughs> what I was. I was, tr- I was trying to carry it on until I got there. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, it will pop back into your head. Um, yeah. So, do you think I've become more bullish on Bitcoin? Me? Me? Oh, you? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You, you seem to be. Would you? Uh, do you think you are? Look, I've, I've, I've got to understand it. I mean, I was uncomfortable with the. I mean, I, I saw. I agree with Felix Salmon that that the the journalist that it's going to land up looking up something very different. But I think as a as a catalyst, as a kickoff point, I think it's 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 been invaluable. Um, I'm intrigued. I mean, I I am intrigued. Payments is an area I know you and I are both very interested in. It's it's the bedrock of of our modern society. Um, I'm curious to see uh, wh- where it goes. I'm 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 curious from an intellectual point of view, the whole deflationary aspect and the um, you know money laundering aspect. I believe Silk Road, the only currency they used to accept was Bitcoin. Is that true? Yeah, probably. I mean, crypto. The other cryptocurrencies are actually still relatively new. Like right. Bitcoin, you know, has been around for a while, but Litecoin, the other popular ones, it's really only sort of in the past six months or so they've had any kind of value. So yeah, it's it's all really very new. Um, and yeah, actually, that was the point I was going to make that I forgot. Um, the I mean, the other thing is there's lots lots of opportunity here for people who kind of just believe in the space. Like lots of the reasons why you're not seeing sort of banks and financial institutions and hedge fund managers kind of getting into the spaces. I think there's a lot of uncertainty there and there's lots of, you know, knowledge that's been built up in the financial system. And if you believe in Bitcoin, just by taking that knowledge that's been applied, you know, and services that exist in the existing financial system and building them for Bitcoin, there's, you know, there's from very early wins. Like if you really do believe in the service, um, really just need to take a very simple concept like a bank and apply it to Bitcoin, you know, that, which is kind of what CoinJar are doing. Um, but yeah, I'm sure there's a whole range of other financial services that we'll start seeing coming through Bitcoin over the next six to 12 months. And the wrong approach, which we've seen in the music industry, we've seen in the movie industry, is the defensive attitude taken, feeling under threat, mm-hmm. feeling like they're going to be replaced. And what happens is that they lose the opportunity Absolutely, to, uh, yeah. to actually. I mean, I mean, and as as the movie and the music industry has shown, these things exist you know coexist land up coexisting side by side and there's opportunity they've obviously got a head start and um you know paypal and the banks should be all over this should absolutely exactly it's it's why whenever i hear any negative comments from somebody sort of heavily invested in the existing financial system you know the treasurer of the u.s alan greenspan is it whatever his name is well he was the ex-treasurer ex-treasurer he made some or the they they don't call it the treasurer but um, whatever their equivalent yeah Anyway, but I think he made some sort of not completely negative, but, you know, disparaging remarks towards it. And I think, you know, when you're so ingrained in that kind of frame of mind, it's very hard to step outside of it. Whereas, you know, we're not, you know, particularly involved in the payment system. So we can kind of look at it from a very, um, you know, abstract point of view. And I think the people who are doing that are the ones who are sort of making these these early investments. I mean, we still don't know what's going to happen, but um, yeah, I'm still... 100% 100% convinced that if it's not Bitcoin, it's going to be the success that um, becomes a huge, huge thing. You're so brave to have your entire life savings in Bitcoin. I know, I know. <laughs> Good thing my life savings are only like a dollar. So. <laughs> um, 
Look, I think I think um, for, I think a lot of the you know official line from from some of these regulators, etc., has to be cautionary because they can see an environment where people do put their their the, the speculation is what worries them probably, you know, more than anything. For for them, the volatility is not a good thing because you know strange things happen with volatility. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you have, you know, 90-year-old people putting in their life savings into Bitcoin and it crashes. And so they inherently, that, that role, the, the Reserve Bank inherently has to be conservative. But um, the financial services companies, yeah, um, not so much. And PayPal, um, definitely not so much. But are, are we going to start accepting Bitcoin and manage Flitter soon? I'd love to, yeah. Let's do it. Sure. Let's do it. I'm curious to see um, Bitcoin, Dogecoin. Maybe a hackathon next thing. Maybe somebody can, one of the teams can do that. Yeah. yeah. See how we go. Coming up in our next interview in this this cryptocurrency special is uh, we're talking to Jackson Palmer, who is one of the co-creators of Dogecoin and happens to work at Adobe in Sydney down the road, which... Yeah, yeah he's a great guy. Yep. So um, we're just going to take a very short break and we'll come back and we'll talk to Jackson. Come back to the It's a Monkey podcast. My name is Kevin Garber, and together with James Peter, we are the co-founders of Manage Flitter, and um, all things exciting at 89N. And um, we've been talking a lot about cryptocurrencies lately, and um, of course, Bitcoin, Bitcoin has just exploded, and everyone's talking about cryptocurrencies. And I stumbled upon an article yesterday um, about an Australian connection to a, a cryptocurrency. Now, we don't have enough Australians on the show. Um, um, no, it's not for lack of trying. And um, I saw an article about Dogecoin. And I saw one of the co-founders of Dogecoin uh, was an Australian. And as luck would have it, um, someone in the office actually met this co-founder of Dogecoin at a barbecue. And through a strange series of events and small world and one degree connections, we tracked down the Dogecoin founder being um, a, a colleague of uh, one of the staff members here. And I'm happy to say we have got him in the office um, with us, um, which is a real treat um, thanks for joining us, Jackson Palmer. Thanks. Thanks for having me here. Um, tell us about this Dogecoin phenomenon. Um, it's a Bitcoin spinoff of sorts, but take us through how it evolved and what it is. Yeah, yeah. So it really kind of started out as just an idea in my head. I'd been following cryptocurrency for quite a while, as I'm sure you guys probably have as well. There was Bitcoin, and then there's also its derivatives like Litecoin, Feathercoin. Um, and about a month, just over a month ago, I noticed there was like a heap of different what we call altcoins or alternative coins coming on the scene. And um, as kind of just a parody of it, you know, um, as typical Australian kind of thing um, to take the piss out of something. Um, I, 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 you know, put out a tweet that was just, I think I'm going to invest in Dogecoin. It's the next big thing. I didn't really think anything of it until uh, the next day I went to work and a bunch of people were saying, that's hilarious. You should actually make that a thing. And so a couple of nights later, I went home one night. I had nothing to do, grabbed a beer and sat down and just put up dogecoin.com. And at that point, it was just a simple, you know, one pager that had the picture of the, you know, the kind of famous doge meme face um, transposed over the top of a coin. I did it in Photoshop in about two seconds. Now, just just take us back the doge meme. Not everyone's yes. going to be familiar yeah. with the doge meme. I, I actually wasn't familiar with the doge meme. Oh, really? Meme okay. So, yeah, the doge meme, it's it's 
based on these this kind of famous series of pictures or photos that were taken of a Shiba Inu dog. Um, it's a it's a breed of Japanese dog, um, and it's it the it's been photoshopped into many different things. And often they put kind of the thoughts, the kind of self talk uh, of what the dog is thinking, what the dog is thinking um, around its face. So it'll say stuff like you know. Uh, amaze wow you know in in our case such profit you know much currency um that kind of thing um and yeah I, i'm sure everybody's probably seen one but not really kind of known what they were looking at so it's it's kind of connected to that 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 doge face where it's kind of just like staring at you yeah. okay so you you sent out this tweet saying oh you know you're going to invest in dogecoin you inv- yeah, your colleague said yeah um that's a great idea do it you registered the domain what happened next so i threw up the image um it was simple at that time it's not even it wasn't even the logo you see now it's just like a two minute photoshop job um and tweeted about it said this is what i spent my evening doing tweeted it and then went to bed it was like midnight by the time i put it up and i wake up the next day and it had something like hundreds of retweets um, you know, people had started writing articles about it. And I had one guy, Billy, who's my co-founder. Um, he's based out of Portland, Oregon. Um, he's an uh, IBM software engineer. And uh, he'd actually tweeted at me, hey, I've actually started making this a thing. I've got a working wallet on my on my machine. I'm like, wow, okay. And so, you know, he got I, I got in touch with him via direct message on Twitter and email back and forth for about, I think it was two or three days. And then on December 8th, we actually launched the thing. We just put it out there in the world and said, hey, everybody, you can start mining or digging, in this case, for Dogecoin. And it's based on... It's based on Litecoin. So um, Bitcoin uses a different type of hashing algorithm. So that's the kind of way that cryptocurrency works. You have to... um, The hashes use a certain algorithm. Um, Litecoin and its derivatives use something called script, which which is a type of algorithm that um, can't be you know, one of the big problems with Bitcoin right now is that people can get these server farms and use these things called ASIC miners which really easily chew through the um, algorithm that Bitcoin's using so the guys behind Litecoin actually started using a different algorithm so that the, the common person at home with their average GPU could start solving the algorithms and mining and these big guys that have the server farms um, their setups wouldn't be effective against the script um, algorithm that Litecoin was using. So, yeah. So to level the playing field a little Pretty bit. Pretty much, yeah. And, I mean, what fascinated me the most is um, Dogecoin is, I'm looking at the article here, I think it's the, the seventh most popular cryptocurrency. Yeah, it's well, it's, it's funny. There's a few different, it depends how you look at it. Um, for a while there, our market cap, so kind of like if you got every Doge coin that would, had been mined ever um, and, and in, put it into raw kind of US dollar value, um, it was the seventh largest in terms of market cap. I think that's got down a little now, but what's really interesting we've seen over the past couple of days is the number of transactions that are taking place. So um, in, within the last 24 hours, the number of individual transactions, so like me sending my friend Dogecoin, them sending a friend Dogecoin, the number of raw transactions outnumbers Bitcoin and every other cryptocurrency combined. So, so yeah. 
you're saying the the number of peer-to-peer exchanges on Dogecoin is outnumbering the number of peer-to-peer or individual peer-to-peer exchanges. That's non- right, right? Non-merchant yeah. peer-to-peer That's exchanges. That's right. So, so yesterday, say in the last 24 hours, around 50,000, 60,000 people sent one another or received some Bitcoin, right? So individual transactions. Um, we're talking in well over 100,000 Dogecoin transactions. And that's mostly because... Um, Dogecoin has, with with its lower value and higher number of coins, um, that we've really seen kind of an explosion in this tipping culture. So that's what people are using it for. They're they're tipping one another with it. So um, if you go onto like Reddit or Twitter right now, there's these t- tipping bots. And so if somebody posts something cool or you know does something, you just want to give them some kudos. Um, you can send them just a hundred dog. And because of that, there is so many transactions taking place. It's actually being used. It's fascinating. It's almost like, um, I know this may seem like a bit of a strange analogy, but I was lucky enough in May this year to be in Hawaii and I went to see uh, the lava flows out uh-huh. of the, and it was, it felt a little bit like seeing the beginning of time, land forming. And, and talking to you, it's like, I don't want to get all sentimental and uh, dramatic, but it's um, seeing the formation of a currency and an a economic ecosystem. Um, yeah. Quite, quite an, and a value of exchange. Uh, a form of exchange of value is quite quite fascinating. Yeah, no, I think that's what's interesting about a Dogecoin. And I think, you know, a lot of people say, well, it's the meme currency. Um, but I think it's, it's really in the last month gone beyond being the kind of parody that it started out as. Um, and it is actually becoming a store of value. Something that, you know, when I talk to a lot of people about Dogecoin is I talk about how in order for a digital currency to really succeed, it needs to actually be a store of value and it needs to be used. And something that, you know, a lot of Bitcoin people are doing and a lot of Litecoin people are doing is they, they're just sitting on it. They buy it, they sit on it as an investment and they're not actually using it as a digital currency. They're seeing it as an investment like investing in art or investing in gold bullion, right? Um, they're not actually using it. So really for a digital currency to succeed, I think it has to be used. There has to be transfer for, you know, liquidity. Tips. Exactly. Yeah. I there mean, has to be I trade mean, volume, the, the, right? Yeah, there has to be liquidity. Exactly. And so I think where, and that's kind of one of the disappointing things that I've seen happen with a lot of these altcoins um, and Bitcoin even is it's become more of an investment game rather than actually taking steps towards a decentralized digital currency. Almost like a gambling play. It is, yeah. It's, yeah. it's become like trading stocks rather than the original vision, which was to have a digital currency, right? You know, for a lot of people that are in Bitcoin or Litecoin, the only real store of value to it, to it is um, how much they can cash out in US dollars. So if, you know, in that light, are they really, is it really a store of value? If, you know, if, if Mt. Gox or one of the big exchanges for Bitcoin went down tomorrow and you couldn't cash out to US dollars, well, how much value is a Bitcoin worth to anybody? I think it's a very important question. I mean, yeah. Um, I mean, the, the one, I don't know if it was yourself or your co-founder who or they were quoted in this article saying it works as a store of value because it's deflationary and there will be a cap. Yeah. Um, I sort of, I'm curious about that because there was a fantastic article by one of the Silicon Valley investors earlier this week, which I'll put a link to in the show notes. And one of, and he was, he was on the fence sort of pro, you know, to exploring the pros and cons of Bitcoin. But one of the um, criticisms he has was there is danger to a deflationary mm-hmm. environment yeah. because 
um, people, then the, the economy gums up because everyone wants to wait to, so that they can get more value tomorrow and what the, for the same number of spend. Exactly. Yeah. So what exactly do you mean or, or did your co-founder mean by, by, by this comment about the def- deflationary? Yeah. Yep. Okay. So most, you know, as kind of outlined in the original paper um, that was written about digital currency and Bitcoin um, as a protocol, um, it was, he talked about a, there being a, a deflationary currency. And by that, what that means is there's a cap on the total number of coins that yep. can be mined. In Bitcoin's case, that's 21 million. Uh, in Dogecoin's case, that's actually 100 billion. So significantly more coins. Um, we're, we're sitting at around 25, 26 billion that have been mined to date for, Bit, for Dogecoin. But the beauty of the way that it works is that over time, the rewards that you get for mining decrease and the difficulty also increases so as more people mine it so although it's really easy to mine dogecoin right now it'll eventually slow down you'll be getting less and it'll be harder to to mine it um and so that is good but you know i think a lot of people walk away from bitcoin and and uh, most of these currencies saying well eventually we're going to run out of coins we're not going to have anything more to mine but you know if you really look into the fine print um after we do get to 100 billion coins in dogecoin um, there actually isn't a hard limit, and there isn't for any any digital currency. It's kind of just like this misconception. So once once Dogecoin actually um, is mined out to 100 billion, every year after that, five um, percent more of the 100 billion will be able to be mined. And so and that what that is is an incentive for miners to continue going, right? Because without miners on a network. Um, the network fails, right? You need that hashing power for the for the decentralized nature of the network to keep processing transactions. Like that's what miners are doing. They're essentially processing and confirming transactions on the blockchain. And so, if everybody stopped mining Bitcoin tomorrow, everybody's wallets would stop working, and they would no transactions would be processed. So there needs to be an incentive at the end of the day for the for the miners to keep going. And in our case, it, it there's there's two things: there's transaction fees, which people pay on every Doge coin transaction. So if I send 10 Doge right now, I'm going to get a one Doge transaction fee, and that gets put back into the blockchain so that miners can harvest it. Um, and then, like I said, there'll be that 5% year over year that is then opened up for mining. And I, I think having a larger cap is also a good thing because that means there's going to be a lot more coins that can be mined as it as it slowly inflates. It's not purely deflationary. Um, whereas Bitcoin, I think they do face an issue when they eventually get to their 21 million. Um, Because there is no real incentive for people to mine and the people that have the power to mine are already, you know, swimming in money because you need to have, you know, a multi-million dollar mining operation that's like, you know, cold storage unit. You know, some people have set them up in like Iceland and stuff because it's they can cool without having air conditioning and stuff just just to mine, you know, a few Bitcoin. What's your um, grand vision? I mean, I understand you're a marketing manager at Adobe. Mm -hmm. What's your grand vision for Dogecoin? Yeah, okay. So, yeah, it's not my full-time job, um, but I think I'm still very supportive of the, you know, I'm trying to help the community as much as I can. Um, And that's kind of the cool other cool thing, I think, that sets Dogecoin apart from any other cryptocurrency is the community that's built around it. Um, I've personally never seen such a passionate group of people um, join around a digital currency and and want to grow it and build awareness and actually use it rather than sit on it. Um, there is a large Bitcoin community, but like I said, they're all 
They, they don't really know anything about the protocol. They're all investors who are there for one reason, and that's to get rich. Um, they want to buy in and then, you know, just dump it a couple of months later when it goes up in although, value. Although in defense to investors, I mean, investors add liquidity to a market. Oh, as absolutely. Well. Yeah. The, no, no, no not, not to say that there's anything bad with investing in it. I just think that the problem is that it's resulted in Bitcoin not being used. You know, it, there's no real value for a merchant in accepting Bitcoin at the moment if their only way it's a store of value is for them to cash out to US dollars. Mm. So like, although we see these things like, oh, Virgin are accepting Bitcoin, um, you know, Reddit accepts Bitcoin when you buy Reddit gold. Well, yes, but the only reason they're accepting it is because they can use a, a Bitcoin to USD exchanger like Coinbase and instantly transfer that money back into USD. Reddit isn't sitting around sitting on, top, on, on a heap of, you know, Bitcoin and neither is Virgin, right? They're, they're just cashing straight out into US dollars. So is it really a store of value if they're cashing right out as soon as they get paid? Um, I'm not sure. I think the beauty of the, bit, the Dogecoin community is that people actually want to use it. They're giving it to one another. People are trading real world things. Um, and also online goods as well, like games and music for it. Um, there's a few online books you can buy with Dogecoin. Um, and yeah, that community is like numbering it like close to 30,000 on the subreddit. It's one of the fastest growing subreddits there is. And um, there's also meetups coming up as well. There's a meetup coming up soon in New York. that's being hosted by AOL and Huffington Post. Um, they're helping host it. So I don't know. I think there's a great deal of passion around it. And in a way, Dogecoin started to run itself. So I guess getting back to what you said, what's my grand plan for it? I think the community is going to decide that. I think it's it's a community coin. And it's and it really just, I think it kind of encapsulates everything that people were kind of sick of or unsure of in Bitcoin. And we're kind of being able to steer it as a community with Dogecoin. It's interesting you say that. I mean, this article that I'm talking about, um, he says that he's, he's a bit critical of Bitcoin, but he says, you know, what we will have Bitcoin to thank for is kickstarting this movement of cryptocurrencies is ultimately, you know, cryptocurrencies yeah. are going to look very different and we'll be using them in different ways. But Bitcoin has definitely um, been a catalyst. Oh, yeah, I think, movement. you know, and I love Bitcoin and I love the idea of digital currency. I think Bitcoin is possibly one of the best economic experiments has ever been run because you know, up until Bitcoin's invention, digital currency wasn't a viable thing. You know, there was the whole double spending problem where, you know, a digital a, a digital key or a file can be duplicated, right? So if I just copy and paste something, I can give it to two people and say it's a store of value. The, the beauty of Bitcoin and its whole distributed ledger that's public um, is that the double spending problem was solved. So as far as, you know, solving problems, Bitcoin was a pioneer and it's, you know, it's, um, but, you know, I think in five years, cryptocurrency might look entirely different. Um, it might not even be cryptocurrency. You know, the only reason we call it cryptocurrency is because of the way that we're distributing the ledger, the way that we're using hashes, um, and then the way we're using these algorithms to do what we call proof of work, right? So, you know, when a miner is processing these transactions, um, doing so tells the network that this person's had to dedicate a certain amount of processing power. Um, but I think, you know, long term for cryptocurrency or, or digital currency, we want that proof of work to be based on something other than just like wasting electricity needlessly. Because I think at the moment when I go and, you know, these people with these massive server farms that are chewing up a heap of energy, creating a bunch of, you know, greenhouse gas emissions, um, the, they're benefiting nobody but themselves. And so there's a few projects out there like uh, Ripple, which is a big Bitcoin competitor, 
Um, and there's also, there was a project called Folding at Home, um, which is kind of similar to SETI at Home. Um, and that processing power, instead of just kind of going mm. mindlessly into harvesting coins for you, actually, you know, with Folding at Home, it goes into helping map the human genome. So your processing power isn't just being wasted. Um, it's actually going towards scientific research um, or, you know, helping the SETI project or something like that. So I think a future digital currency, I think that's the next big step. I think Bitcoin solved the double spending problem with the public ledger, but I think the next big problem for digital currency is to make the mining process or whatever we want, however we want to harvest, um, I mean harvest it. Yeah, we need to make it so that it kind of betters society, if if you will, because at the moment the only people that benefit are the Bitcoin, like the Bitcoin miners themselves, and yeah. You bring up some yeah really interesting points. I'm gonna I'm gonna hand over to my uh, co-founder and co-presenter James, who uh, has actually been dabbling in Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies a lot longer than me. So I'm sure he's got some <laughs> intelligent, and he's more intelligent than me. So I'm sure he's got a lot of uh, intelligent questions to ask. Cool. Oh, that's a big build up for uh, I don't know if I've got that much to <laughs> to, come, to bring into the table. Um, what was I gonna ask? Um, yeah, I do have a few couple of questions. Um, so obviously since you started. Dogcoin, dog Dogcoin, Dogcoin. Dog you can say Doge Still, if you want. Yeah. Dog, Dogcoin. Got to say it a few times. Um, do you, Do you personally have a lot of Dogecoin? Would you? Are you sort of? Well, see, that's one of the it? that's one of the funny things. Um, so yeah, so the the kind of nature of it is that, yeah, and and this is a good example. So a lot of the a lot of the altcoins that were coming on the scene when I made this, and this is partly the reason I parodied uh, them all, is that. A lot of people see these altcoins in creating one as a get-rich-quick scheme. Mm. Um, and what the developers do is they do this thing called pre-mining. So before they release the, the client to the public, uh-huh. they go ahead and they pre-mine a whole bunch of it. So they're sitting on like, what, a billion coins. Mm-hmm. Then they go out, they create a whole bunch of hype about it. As soon as it gets listed on exchange, they cash out for US dollars. Developers are rich, the community gets left. Um Billy and I didn't do that. We just because we never well, to, like we'd never do that anyway. But we didn't think it was going to take off really. So yeah. we just kind of like put the the client up on Bitcoin Talk and and mined it ourselves. Like at the same time as everybody else. But within like an hour, people had set up mining pools and like our poor little home graphics cards couldn't handle it. Like you know yeah. we were just you know so we're sitting on about as much as you know no more than anybody else that yeah. started off. Um, and I think. I think that's also part of the reason that that Dogecoin's kind of taken off is that community that's built around the fact that it's genuine and and that that it's honest. Mm. Like nobody's out to get rich in this thing. Um, And, you know, there's a good example. There was a coin that was recently released called Coinye West. It was in the the news (laughs) a lot. They've recently shut down. They shut down two days ago because there was a lot of, there was a legal, there was a lawsuit and stuff like that. But from the very start, the developers, they pre-mined something like, 1.3% 1.3% of all coins to uh-huh. pay off journalists um, and, you know, pay for legal costs. And, and then the developers the other day just cashed out, shut down the website, and now they're laughing about it, you know. And I, mm. think, I think that's one of the big problems we face as well in cryptocurrencies that people are using it because there are people, you know, there's a lot of greed, right? Because mm. there's real money as well. You well, know? it is, yeah. yeah. And, you know, um, if people are putting their real money into something, I think... Um, it's a big problem that cryptocurrency. There's a new altcoin coming on the scene like every day or two, mm. and a lot of them are these what they call pump and dump, right? You pump up a whole bunch of hype about it. You have you're sitting on a whole bunch that you've pre-mined. You get all these fools to want to buy it, and then you you and then you dump it on them, and then they're left with nothing. Mm. Um, 
And so speaking of that, speaking of all the all of the altcoins that are coming out, I mean, uh, I, I guess the the thing that differentiates Dogecoin is is what is it? What what other than sort of the the way that it came from it? What, how do you think it's going to succeed where the other ones don't? I think community, really. I think I think it's just the fact that there's a community that have gotten behind it, um, and and now it's just kind of got that staying power. I think mm. like we have a larger community than Litecoin, which just is ridiculous, but. Um, these people want to see it succeed and, and I think the real great thing about it is they don't want to see it succeed to get rich they want to see it succeed because for many people Dogecoin was a learning experience hmm. um, a lot of people that got into it you know a lot of those 30,000 people never used a cryptocurrency before because Bitcoin is daunting hmm. um, technologically but you know also it has this kind of negative association with like the Silk Road illegal activity yeah. stuff like that so I think in a way by combining the Doge meme with um, or Doge meme with um, with a cryptocurrency, it kind of brought it to the mainstream, but then also made it so people could come in and be treated kind of like with open open arms. Like any newbie that goes into the Bitcoin world right now will be shouted out by investors who say, "You don't know what you're doing. You know, Bitcoin's only for people that know what they're doing." Ah, oh, there's this real elitism, you know. Whereas the Dogecoin community, like we, you know, we were on the front page of Reddit yesterday, and there was like. 1500 new people that subscribed to the to the subreddit everybody's saying hey here have some dough get started this is awesome like go and share it with your friends and family you know start spending it on you know buying some steam games or something mm. you know like um i yeah. think number one is definitely the community and it's something that i don't think any other cryptocurrency has so i think that's our, it's our unique Mm-hmm. Okay. So people are kind of emotionally invested, not just financially invested. It's something that they truly care about, I yeah. think, because they had that learning experience, right? Because it was the first cryptocurrency they ever used, yeah. But um, do, you, do you think that could be a problem? I mean, what if, say, the Dogue meme, you know, comes out of vogue and it's, you yeah. know, it's no longer popular? Th- what what yeah. do you think will happen? Do you think it can exist despite that? Or? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, think, I think the Dogue meme, like all memes, will probably kind of fade away. But as it does, I, I think we've kind of grown beyond the dog meme like a mm-hmm. lot of the times when i when i talk about dogecoin i forget that the dog's even on it like it's mm, just kind of like a second nature kind of thing like um it's become it's become more about i don't know people talk about it as an internet currency it's kind of like the currency that that is the face of what it means to be on the internet you know what it means in the whole kind of meta world of the internet um, and I think it represents the good side of the internet in mm. that there's a really kind of dark side. There's people that just want to yell at you and have flame wars and stuff on the internet and just say bad things about people. I think Dogecoin is this kind of like one corner of the internet that's, that's you know, kind of impervious to that and that, you know, people are actually nice to one another. And I think people like that feeling. So I think even if the Doge meme kind of gets completely disconnected from it, although it'll still be called Dogecoin, um, I think people want to be part of a community that's nice to one another. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you look at sort of the history of memes as well, there tends to sort of be these, the early ones tend to have a lot of strength, you know, like Rick yeah. Rolling, that kind of stuff. It tends to, there tends to be a few things that kind of shine out. And even though things go out of vogue, there are still, you know, just the fact that they're early and they have a lot more uh, ability to kind of, um, you know, uh, build up attention over time they can sort of uh, uh, yeah. propel themselves so yeah it's, it's interesting I mean, I'm, I'm in two minds I don't know it's hard to know whether it's going to be like a uh, maybe in some ways it might look a bit more like um, the stock market so maybe you have like a series of altcoins that are kind of like tied to the meme <laughs> success I mean it's well it's a very I think the area, thing is we want to go beyond the, like the meme you know I, I, I try to say this to people like I get 
as you can imagine, a lot of emails every day with people being like, I want to create my own altcoin. And I'm like, seriously, I, the last thing we need is more of these because I think what we need to do is as a whole community of people who are, you know, all interested in the one thing, all interested in digital currency, all want to learn about how it works, all want to see it, you know, become an actual competitor to lo local fiat currency. Let's work together instead of creating a bunch of little kind of kingdoms within this in this thing and all hating one another and getting angry at one another or having competing coins like i don't mm. think that dogecoin competes with bitcoin at all i think it's it's a tipping currency it's for microtransactions. it's awesome for that and you know where i want to see it is instead of the upvote instead of the like online you, you're sending people some doge because it's 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 that much more stronger and and less hollow than a like or a retweet or a, or, or an upvote I don't see people buying cars like they are with Bitcoin, with Dogecoin. So I think it can per it can really easily exist mm. side by side. To anybody out there that's like, I'm going to go and create another altcoin and try and make it the next big thing, come and work with us. Like, honestly, like, because the best thing we can do for the community as a whole is, is work together and, you know, just not try to, you know, flame one another like a lot of people have been. Hmm. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. Um, you're a bit of an idealist. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, no, I'm, I'm not. Well, I'm not an idealist. I'm, I just think I like to see the good in things, and um, and that's one thing. Like, you know, I've had my fair share of of, of negative things come out of Dogecoin. You know, I think a lot of there is a lot of negativity from other communities towards Dogecoin, and there's a lot of. Um, you know, th there's been some bad things said about it and you get some, some people sending you hate mail and stuff like that. You know, what are you doing? You've this had is... hate mail. Oh, I've had hate mail. Oh, hell yeah. And, hate um, mail, groupies. Oh, all of that. You but, know. you know, but I think the cool thing is, like, no matter how much that happens, like, the kindness of the community kind of shields you from that and kind of, um, you know, I've also made a lot of cool friends from this and, you know, I think a lot of people are, so... Look, you came in here wearing your Dharma T-shirt. Yes. You know, so, <laughs> you know uh, I, I see where you come from. No, look, it's it's great. I think I like what you said about this is the best of the internet. You know, I think I think there's a lot of visibility about the worst of the internet. Mm. And um, we sometimes lose sight of what what is the best of the internet. Mm. And I think it's something very worthwhile, worth worth focusing on. And and in my and in a way, I take my hat off to you in that you you're not being opportunistic about this, but um, yeah, uh, you know, and you, you you just wanted to sort of be a, a force for good, so to speak. So we we really look uh, forward to watching it with interest. I'm going to hop online and. Um, see yeah. what i can you know get, get, <laughs> get, get started in, get, get involved with that i bought i bought my first bitcoin yesterday oh nice i bought one bitcoin i'm not quite sure what to do with it <laughs> but <laughs> buy some dog <laughs> yeah well there we there, there we go but um look fascinating time i mean someone i read a brilliant article a few years ago about how you know every piece of great technology started out as a toy mm -hmm. you know whether it was the airplane or the car or the internet or Twitter or Facebook, mm. you know, and and hearing you, you know, coming from a meme and, and starting out as, as something, um, you know, in a lot lighter form that's, that it will ultimately probably be a lot more substantial, has the potential to be a lot more substantial in terms of impact mm -hmm. than, yeah. its, than its current form, yeah. uh, um, you know, playing around in the fringes. Absolutely, yeah. 
Really appreciate your time coming in. Awesome. Uh, it's awesome it's so here. great to have uh, Aussies and Sydney people, uh, <laughs> you know, involved in the space and making an impact. And um, let's please stay in touch. Absolutely. Yeah. Everybody check out Dogecoin. Thanks we're, for having me. We'll, we'll put on the links uh, on the podcast so you'll, um, you, you'll get some interest. Awesome. To the moon. <laughs> Absolutely. Dogecoin. You want to hear something interesting about Dogecoin? Dogecoin is helping the Jamaican bobsled team, I think. <laughs> yep, that's true. Yep. Here we go. Winter wow. Dogecoin, uh, other donors sent Jamaican bobsled team to Sushi. Um, so there was a big campaign and, in, and Dogecoin was involved in that as well. And the team now has more than $184,000, real dollars, not, not cryptocurrency, um, towards their Olympic... Um, Efforts. The Dogecoin effort produced around $30,000 for the bobsled team after it was promoted in the currency's Reddit community page. Yeah, that's, that's kind of crazy. I mean, it doesn't necessarily say that much about the currency per se, because obviously you can raise money in any any avenue. But I think it says an awful lot about the community, um, which was a lot, which was, you know, what Jackson was talking about. He was saying, you know, it's such a strong community. It's people who are sort of gathering together. Um, it seems such such a strange avenue for people to kind of gather around, you know, just like a such a such an odd meme. But it's um, yeah, it's just crazy how these things take off and pe- people become invested in them emotionally and um, and obviously financially now to a certain degree. I think that's the fascinating thing about the internet and the internet being so you know porous and and um, you know not a not a proprietary closed system is. You know, behavior is just just becomes very tangential, but tangential behavior becomes very significant and, and morphs into into you know a life of its own, and that's what's so fascinating about sort of self-organizing systems in a way. Mm, absolutely, yeah, yeah. No, I think it's a very interesting space, and um, look, I think it was very interesting that Jackson thought that uh, well hoped that a lot of these these other sort of cryptocurrency efforts would kind of combine into dog. Dogecoin, um, and it's certainly possible that might happen. There's and it's very interesting that there's so much activity happening. Um, I think you know part of the reason, and I read that in, in some articles recently, that part of the reason why there's so much activity is that the value of Dogecoin is so much lower. You know, for for a dollar US, you can buy. I know it's about 5,000 Dogecoin, maybe 10,000 right now. And it kind of feels good. And like you can kind of become a millionaire in, in a second, you know, a Dogecoin millionaire with like a thousand bucks. So Dopamine. Yeah, it's, it's great. It's so, that, so that's partly why, like, because it has such a low value that it's so, so exciting. And it's interesting that that low value in aggregate has actually made it, um, I think it's something like the second largest currency in terms of, in terms of market cap or something to that effect. Um, so yeah, no, it's, it's a very, very interesting space. And I mean, I'm, I'm personally not totally convinced that it's going to end up as, um, the only cryptocurrency. I think it's going to, we're going to end up in a situation where we have sort of a marketplace of different cryptocurrencies and their value is kind of tied to their name. Um, which, you know, I think is kind of where Dogecoin has come in. It's kind of got this really exciting meme that everybody likes and it's sort of fun to be part of. Um, but I don't think it'll end there. I think I think this is the first of first of many. That's that's my prediction for the space. Do you know much about the history of the American railways? No, I don't. <laughs> that's an James, odd tangent. We, we, we thought you knew everything. You, you're the go-to intellectual guy. Uh, I'm not a railway aficionado. Aren't you? No. 
<laughs> it's my one my you, one topic you, you take a train <laughs> twice a day uh, yeah and i know, you know i should the history sh- and the evolution of yeah no, no idea well you know in the train um i happen to be you know a uh, okay a local <laughs> railway expert no i'm not an expert but one of the interesting things about we really should try keep these podcasts interesting james going on <laughs> this, no one's interested in our stupid little um nonsense banters one of the interesting things about the the railways was um when the railway sort of boom was happening, um, there were many different railway companies that all had their own gauge of railway. Ah, right. Yeah. Okay. And I think, if I stand to be corrected, but I think still New South Wales and Queensland, if if I'm corrected, and I think there's still a different gauge of railway. I'm, I yeah, might it's either Queensland or Victoria, but one of the two. There's definitely one of the states has a different, different gauge, gauge of railway. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, all these technologies, including, you know, something real world as the as the railways when when there's the innovation and the difference differences happening and haven't worked out the benefits of, of what areas need to be coordinated and what areas can be separate mm-hmm. and there are all these different railway companies yeah you know with different gauges and um, which seems ridiculous mm. um, but um, tying back to the cryptocurrency is we may go through that phase of just rapid evolution where there's different cryptocurrencies and and it might be benefits to have different ones or it may be benefits to to you know one of them to dominate or to standardize or, or, mm. or something i mean my, my personal feelings about it is uh, that um you know things that tend to have high outlay tend to sort of consolidate so things like railways where it's kind of expensive to start a railway Big company overhead. yeah there's yeah. lots of overhead there's not that many opportunities for it so it makes an awful lot of sense to consolidate but um and if you, I mean, just from hearing like Jackson's story, like it was so simple. He didn't have any kind of concept of how to build a Dogecoin. He invented it really through a tweet. And that was, you know, the genesis of, of Dogecoin. Just one tweet that got retweeted. And then, you know, then somebody else joined in. And it was just more people joining in, building up this currency. You know, there's, there's, there's absolutely zero overlay required to start a new currency. And when you have that kind of environment, um, and, 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 you know, there's obviously, and obviously there's, benefits to starting as well you know particularly if your currency does become successful you have a lot of by getting in early you then actually uh gain financially so there's lots of financial incentives to start new currencies so um yeah i'm totally convinced we'll we'll end up in a um you know currencies will look much more like stocks i guess you know rather than um stocks and memes rather than um rather than uh, our, our, our current concept of a currency which is sort of like an individual single thing um, that, that you exchange value for. And if you think, well, the interesting thing, if you think about current stocks, right, and the fluctuations in stock prices, a lot of the time the reason why they fluctuate, I mean, ultimately it comes down to earnings, etc. but all the noise on top of that is essentially memes. Absolutely, yeah. Right, yeah. if you think, um, you know, say there's a rumor that Marissa May is, you know, going to leave, yahoo or she's not ma- you, you know they essentially memes that come through as a wave into the stock price and add that noise so it's it's sort of inherently uh, uh, y- you know memes are are, are um, embedded in the stock price as it is yeah absolutely yeah and i mean memes can be everything as well it's not just you know what we necessarily call like an internet meme but it can kind of be, be like a concept you know like a a brand or you know whatever a country in some ways as well you can define as a meme so, yeah, no, I think it's a very, very interesting space. Definitely one to watch. I mean, one of the um, 
you know, non-monetary or I should say alternate currencies that actually exist at the moment that has been very successful um, are frequent flyer points, or as they call them mm-hmm. in the U.S., are miles. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, essentially, they beca- they, they're so successful that they, they actually are a currency. Mm. They do have a lot of value, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm the kind of person who tries to really not to pay attention because they kind of like manipulate you in a little way. They like, do. like they motivate you to, to, to spend, more. spend more and fly with the same company and all that kind of stuff. So it works in the in the airlines favors. But um, yeah, I must admit, I've I've been victim to um, well, not victim, but I've I've um, you know. Uh, installed apps so I can kind of keep like an eye on my balance and stuff in the past and you know made sure I was sort of um, flown certain airlines rather than others to, to add up to it it works yeah it does yeah it, it works changes behavior um, so yeah anyway I think I think that's about it we covered a lot of a lot of ground um, I think it's a topic that we're going to keep on keep on coming back to I, w- I would like to find someone if you're listening to the show and you're an economic expert or you have access to really the economic side of things the real fundamental economics the d- inflation versus deflation versus discussion of a fiat currency maybe you know how currencies used to be pegged to the gold standard mm-hmm. um, maybe cryptocurrencies will be pegged to dogecoin maybe maybe <laughs> and Dogecoin will be the, you know. Or perhaps it will be our own currency. Maybe we should start like an it's a mon- monkey monkey coin or something like that. Well, currencies around communities mm. make sense. And they, they have existed. I mean, there was this thing in Australia. I don't know if it's global. That's existed for a long time called Barter Card. Oh, yeah. And it was this concept of building a community. And if you were a chiropractor and there was a plumber and you both were on Barter Card, you could exchange services at a lower value than what the dollar exchange would be because you're both on barter card oh, and okay hmm. and in a way you're both getting a deal but you could convert that into dollars but it would it would be more expensive to convert it into dollars hmm. so you know where they're human beings as currency exchange i mean prisoners use cigarettes you know it's 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 one of these fundamental um things along with love war and something else which i don't know shouldn't mention because this podcast family friendly podcast all right thanks for joining us please tweet us monkey podcast follow us on twitter sign up for an email list at it's a monkey.com find us on facebook we on most social media networks email us Um, we'd love to hear from you this has been episode 33 in two weeks we'll be in episode 35 and james peter is going to be in canada yep not long now I'll be uh, snuggled up in like a, in my minus thirty degree weather in like a big coat. Onesie. My onesie. Yeah, yeah that's um, exciting. So we'll we'll talk to you in, in two weeks' time. Thanks for joining us. Have a good one.